Warning, if you are faint of heart or easily offended, this show is not for you. Struggling to find an all-in-one platform for the latest poker news and thrilling poker stories? Only Poker has got you covered. The platform is packed with exciting poker news, discussions, and games that you won't be able to resist. Share your thoughts with friends on the hottest poker topics in our circle. Discover the best poker games anytime, anywhere, and secure your seat at the table. Find all your poker needs in one place. Download only poker and join the best poker community today. All right, this is a Nick Fertucci show, and I am Nick Fertucci, and I'm here with Lynn Jai and, of course, Daniel Negrano. Daniel, how are you? Doing good, guys. How you doing? Good. Hey, thanks for being with us today. We appreciate it. Um, we're going to go right into it. So the first thing that I want to talk about is your 2023 WSOP experience. So I want to give a couple stats and see if we could chat about it. You showed a loss this year of almost 800k like 740,000 in 70 events and uh I know you made up with it with the super high roller so this year you showed a profit but I guess the reason I want to talk about that more than anything is not to say oh wow you didn't do well this year is to like just to the point of variance like it's it's insane that someone that plays at your level and I think it's good for poker players to see that like you went through this you went through this WSOP you played 70 events I think it says here you cashed like three hundred and seventy-seven thousand. So uh, you had a, a a pretty big uh, a pretty big loss. So I, I just want to like, what happened? Was it just you just weren't grooving, or you just what was it? I thought I had a great series. I, here's what you're missing. Here's what you're really missing, right? So the World Series is comprised of events from as low as three hundred dollars to two hundred and fifty thousand, right? Right. So if you do well, you know, and you get deep in the small ones. You buy into that three hundred dollar one, okay? So you come in like thirtieth out of twenty thousand. You get twelve hundred, fifteen hundred bucks, right? Right. Still a good run, you know. I had twenty caches o- over the series. I felt like I was deep a lot, but I played the two fifty k, played hundred k twice, played another fifty k, and in the high rollers, I only had a couple small min caches. So yeah. really, it comes down to like a handful of events that you know sort of, um, you know, make or break your series. Last year, actually, I had a worse uh, overall in the in the World Series book. This year, last year is when I saved the year by winning the Super High Roller Bowl for $3.3 million. Because yeah. I was down about 1.1 last year and ended up on the year up 1.6. This year, as you said, I lost about 700 something at the World Series. So stuck about a million, but there's plenty of tournaments to go. And I'm going to grind it out the rest of the year and, uh, and try to show another profit. Yeah, no, I get it. And then, like you said, you won the Super High Roller, which was over $3 million, 3.3. So that's a good day's work. Yeah, that was a good summer. That was a good like year saver, if you will, right? Because I yeah. have had I had one losing year. Really, honestly, since I've been posting it since about 2013, I've had one losing year where I lost 1.2 million, I think, in 2015, 16. Yeah. Then I had one where I like lost 60k, which is not really a loss. That's breaking even considering the stakes I play. That's like a buying, right? Right. And that I've been able to you know have winning years each year. This year so far, it's a losing year, but I've always been a good closer, and I, there's a lot of tournaments to come up with the world series of poker Europe and you know, the PGT events, a couple super high roller bowls. One is PLO. One is no limit. Hold'em. So 
lots of time to get off the schneid. Totally. Lynn? So it seems like you handle this with just so much like comfort um, and nonchalance. Have you always had this degree like of and this mindset um, and comfort around like being down money the first six months of the year? Yeah, I'm an open book, right? Like I sort of, I'm one of the only poker pros who shares their results. There's plenty of poker players this year that are professionals that are stuck way more than way yeah. more, right? Because like they, they don't just post their results. I post them every year and I think it's actually, uh, it's odd that I've been a actually able to win consistently each year because there's so much variance and we're talking about a small sample size. As far as how I approach it and how I feel about it, I just understand poker. I've been doing this for you know, 20 something years. And I've always had so much confidence in myself that mm -hmm. like I've got, gone through bad runs before and they, you know, I always yeah. find a way out. So, um, so yeah, that, so I don't get phased about, okay, well I didn't cash in the 250 K. Well, what? That's just a tournament. You know what I mean? Yeah. Okay. I had tens. I lost. What? Oh no. What am I going to do? I got to change my game. Yeah. It's just move on to the next one. Well, I have a question then, since we, we both brought up variants and we know that's a big thing in poker. And the reason I'm asking you is because, what have you been in this, what have you been in this game, what, 20 years plus? Yeah, a Some, lot of plus. Something <laughs> like that, right? Well, if, almost 30, actually, if, I started playing 30 years ago, more than 30 years ago. Yeah. Okay. For someone like you that's been down the road in tournaments and cash, you've been, you know, you've, listen, you've survived being a professional poker player. We know that that's a, I, I think a small percentage. I don't know what the percentages are. That's just me really assuming because of how tough it is to be in this business. So if you were going to be speaking to some players that are up and coming and, you know, I even know myself in the last couple of years since I started playing poker, like pretty much regularly, I had to experience what variance was because I'm playing all the time now and it's like, it just, it fucked me up, right? Like I just didn't know how to handle it. What would you tell players that like can't handle it, how they should approach it, any advice, bankroll advice compared to stakes they're playing? Is there any advice you could give out there because of your experience that you have? Yeah, so it's a lot different today than it was when I started. When I started to build a bankroll, you sat your leather ass down in one chair and you played at one table. Right. For most of the younger generation outside the United States and across, you know, they're playing online and online. You can sort of realize the long run a lot more quickly and you can really sort of dive into like, OK, am I actually a good or a bad player? But what I do is I go through a mental checklist because one of the things about poker is you can confuse yourself into thinking you're really good at it when you're not based on luck or vice versa. And, you know, yeah. when we talk about poker players in the media. We say, oh, this guy's the best because of this. Okay, he is right now, but did you look like the three key pots he played? He won the flips, right? The other guy didn't, you know? And that's gonna happen. We're always gonna have ebbs and flows about who's on top in that regard. As far as what I like to do is I do several things. I do a checklist. Number one, am I consistently getting it in bad? Am I calling it off too light? Am I constantly being short stacked and just not like really having a shot? Um, and if all those things, if I look at those objectively and realize that, you know, I'm doing fine in all those regards, yeah. right? you know, like, you know, a little bit of better run, that'll give you confidence. And with all the data you can collect online these days, it's so much easier. So I would say for those that are struggling to, to get, you know, get behind it, it's really just look deeper into your data if you're playing online. And if not, when you're doing live, you just have to really learn to be self, uh, like introspective and, and you know. Yeah. So I, I think what you're saying in total layman's terms is this, it's like poker is a game of inches and percentages. And if, if you know, you're doing the right things, just as you said, I'm repeating what you said, then you know you just got to keep going. 
because it's going it's going to turn eventually and there's nothing else you can do if you're getting it in good if you're making the right decisions if you're going through all the fundamentals of when you should make a lay down when you shouldn't and you're actually going through the process i guess that that's what's happening with me is like when I know I play now and I know I did the right things, like I, I know it because I work uh, with some people now that I go over all my hands, probably same people you do. And uh, w- with that said, it's like I, I now have a better, I have more of a piece about it than I did before I understood that. Yeah, I would say this, okay? And this is going to be hard for people to understand, but losing stretches like that are a blessing, okay? Because what they do is they force introspection. They force you to look at it more deep. When you're winning... Who gives a shit? Who gives a shit how you're playing? Who gives a shit how you're just winning? So whatever you're doing is right. You might be playing like shit, right? And I used to do that when I started as a teenager. I would write down, not how I did results-wise. I would grade myself, A, B, C, D. How do I think I played? Keep mental notes, right? And often I found, you know, some of my worst sessions were when I won big because I was sloppy and, you know, you're nonchalant. When you're losing, it sort of forces you to look a little deeper and go, what's going on here? and then get to the bottom of it. Then you look for leaks and you say, okay, well, you know what? Not stealing enough pots here. I'm constantly short stacks. It means I'm just not seeing things. I need to be more aggressive. Uh, I keep getting it in bad. I'm just, every time I call the river, they have it. Whatever it is for you, right? Because everybody's different in terms of their weaknesses. But when you're going through those periods, that's an opportunity, right? When you have breakdowns, in, and this is true for life, when you have a breakdown in life, when things are not going right, it is a, you have to look at it like an opportunity for a breakthrough. So you can figure out what's not working in your life or in your poker game, and then you take that and you move it in a direction where you say, okay, well, I need to do things differently because we know, you know, doing the same thing over and over is the, the definition of insanity and it doesn't lead anywhere if it's not working. Well, and then Lynn, I want to know what you think, but I, I I would say that's probably some of the best advice that has been given because especially taking it into the life perspective, that is so true. And, and I'm a perfect example of whether it's business, personal life, poker, Anytime I hit the bottom, I became better. Now, I because I made the choice to be better. I made the choice to get introspective and to put the work in. Some people don't do that, and that's why they go away, and, and you don't ever see them again. So what do you think, Lynn? Yeah, absolutely. The same has been true for me. I mean, I remember one of the first months of COVID, I was losing probably, honestly, like close to a quarter million a week backing other people. Went terribly. I think I cried every single day that month. Um, but I also came out from it learning a lot of lessons about life, business, friendships, um, and also just like how to conduct myself. Yeah. So like I said, I think for players out there that are just starting and, and honestly, for a lot of players, look, I'll say it this way. I, I have people on my show right now that have sun ran for the last like year or so now they are going the other way and i see that they don't know how to i heard you son ran pretty fucking good i listen (laughs) listen i'm listen i'm a perfect example daniel the first year i literally son ran and and probably won in in the games i play which aren't you know even that big like quarter three quarters of a million dollars right like just me some dumb shit that just started playing (laughs) poker like for real and used to be a businessman i mean i had i was i was in the lab i was training but self-proclaimed like i'm not you know i'm not that guy that thinks i'm great then yeah 
I, I'm, I'm, I've been struggling. I'm pulling out of it, but I've been struggling. I went, you know, I had to, I talked to guys like Doug Polk. I talked to guys like, you know, not you, but like you that have been in this game a long time are saying, Nick, you don't understand it. Going on like 30, 50 uh, uh, buy-in, like downswings, like it's, it's not uncommon. This is what, this is why, this is why it's happened. What? And so it took me, like, I literally was so discouraged because I'm like, what's going on here? Like, it's just not working out. And like you said, I was winning even when I was doing stupid shit. It just was crazy. You well, know, let me, just, I can let me illustrate because I remember we did this for, for you know, to, to speak to the variance issue. Yeah. When, when I was playing that match against Poke a long time ago, my guys ran a sim, right, where they took two players that were evenly matched. So you take two bots that are exactly evenly skilled and have them play 10 million hands against each other. Okay. What you'll find is during that 10 million hands, one player will be ahead as much as 80, 90, or 100 buy-ins, right? right. That's evenly skilled things, but natural standard deviation, the all-ins, the situations, right? Like, so when you look at it that way, you know, then you have to sort of like come to grips with the idea that like, yeah, you know, you can, it's one of the few professions where you can make all the right decisions for an extended period of time and come away with less money than you had when you started. Yeah, but do you believe over time though, if you are the the guy that's in the lab making the right decisions getting better being introspective you do believe those players will come out top uh, on top over time well it depends right <clears throat> no i've always said this but imagine nick you were the sixth best poker player in the world right you're number six everyone's clear there's like you're one of the best literally six out of five billion if you yeah. sit down with the other five every day guess what you are you are what's known as the sucker Right. So despite your skill level, despite your mental strength, despite your prowess as a player, you're the sucker and you're not going to win. So there's more to it than just learning how to play like a wizard. There's plenty of people, yeah. you know, and your games are a perfect example. You've got some guys in there. They're not the best of the best, but they play with blind people, essentially. Right. You get in these games. And now <laughs> the winner, I know guys. I know I won't name them because I don't want to out them, but I know guys that run private games and they have private games. They're okay, but if they had to sit with the Wizards, they'd get cleaned out. But right. They, they make 10 right. times what the Wizards make. 10 times because they have social skills. They have network, network, network ability. They, they know how to bring the people in, and they just create these games for themselves. So being a professional poker player takes more than just learning how to play better. You have to yeah. ask yourself, like, you know, what kind of future do I want, and what does it look like? I've never been an ass kisser. You should know this by now about me, Nick. Yeah. You don't kiss ass. I get into private games. Listen, you've offered me to come over there and play with blind people all the time. I, I don't even bother, right? Like, I'm just like, <laughs> right? So, yeah. so, but yeah, so like, that's not for me. But listen, if you are younger or whatever, like, unfortunately, especially in the live arena, if you want to be a live pro, like, there's, you're not going to find, like it used to be when I was a kid. When I was a kid, you walk in there, you sit, you have the money, you play. It's not, that's not the case anymore. You have to know somebody, they have to let yep. you in, a couple of pros hold the game, and it's just a shit show. You have to kiss ass. And yeah. Well, I have something to say about that, but Lynn, do you have something to say first so I don't dominate the mic? Because I do have something directly to respond to that. No, go ahead. I want to hear this. So you're right. Like, I could even remember back, you know, when I, you know, I was a wreck, obviously, but I could walk into the commerce and there was like six, 10, 20 games on a Friday with, it's just, in me, I could actually probably hold my own because it was so bad. Now, you can't even get into a 25-50 game in almost any casino. And if they are, they're private. And like you said, either you have to be more at the bottom of the barrel of a player or you have to have – and we were going to talk to you about this – massive social skills. Bring something else to the table. Bring bring 
a player so you could get a seat. Like, it's just not like it used to be. So it is harder to be a poker player today than it was 20 years ago. And I know that just from being a wreck fish 20 years ago. You know what's the last sort of segment that's not been affected by this? Because like, like I said, in the old days, the purity of poker was you got the money, you got the bank, you sit down and you play, right? Yeah. And that's changing, right? Except for one place, and that's tournaments, high-stakes tournaments, right? And even in those cases, it is to a certain degree where they have the invitationals at Triton where, you know, a businessman has to invite a pro to play and they play separately for day one. But for the outside of that, tournaments is the last open environment where no matter who you are, you can be Martin Cabril, Right. And if, you know, you're not banned for any, you get to play, you can be an asshole, whatever. Martin Cabrill, I imagine, would have a tougher time getting into some, like, Hollywood home games in L.A., right? But, like, right. in a tournament, he can sit down and play just like uh, anybody else. So, so that's, I mean, I've always been a tournament guy. I've always loved it. When I started out playing professionally, I played cash for a job, Monday to Friday, noon to 8. And I used that money so that I could treat myself by playing tournaments Monday night, Wednesday night, Thursday night, something like that. But, you know, the, the base, the boring part was cash. I find cash incredibly boring. Like, I understand everyone loves watching the streams and all cash. I, there's no fucking trophy. What's the point? Y'all are playing for money. I don't care, right? I want a trophy. Right. For a trophy, I'm in. That's so. That's such an interesting take because I know so many players that love cash and they're just tortured in tournaments. I'm one of them, but I, I never thought of it that way. But I guess maybe... Maybe someone at your level that just makes more sense, right? Like, and and I have, you know, yeah. It's just that's that's. Well, a, no, I would think no it was option. No, that like the the more stable income is cash because every month will look relatively similar. Yeah. When you play tournaments, you go long time no eat, long time no eat. Okay, eat, and then you maybe you spend too much, spend too much. Then you know you go long time no eat. So it's much more difficult in a lot of ways to sustain yourself with tournaments alone. So that's why when I started out. I used cash as my way of making sure that I had a good bankroll. And then I would take pieces of that, take some shots in tournaments. Now, if I win a big tournament, 30K, 40K, back, that, that's what it was back in the day. Okay, now I can play bigger cash games, right? A little bit. Yeah. Push myself. But um, that's sort of how I did it. Cash game was the base to keep my bills paid. And tournaments yeah. were a shot to move up, to become somebody that plays in the high stakes games. And then that's how I did it. Do you enjoy playing cash at all anymore? No, not really. No, no I mean, kidding. The only cash I would enjoy is if it's like a mixed game at Bobby's room. And I don't even do that. But if it was like eight game or mixed, but to play no limit, hold them cash. I mean, I just, I don't, I don't, it's like, I mean, this, I is, the, this is why I can't get you at our show. Yeah. I, unfortunately. I never really understood it. I just, yeah, I don't enjoy, it's not fun. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> I, don't, I just don't enjoy it that much. So like, I, I listen, I did this in my twenties and thirties. I wanted to make enough money. So in my 40s, I can do whatever the fuck I want. So now yeah. I can sort of eliminate that whole idea that playing cash is a job. I don't need that job anymore. Now I can just do what I love, which is play tournaments on the biggest stage against the best players. And, um, you know, like imagine this. I'm not saying that I'm in this case, but let's say you're wealthy, right? Like, is it really fun to go play like $5 blackjack? Like, is it fun? No. It doesn't seem that fun to me. And it's no, not, it, has not to, it has to hurt a little bit. Huh? It has to hurt a little bit. Yeah, I'm not suggesting that's the case with cash because there's huge cash games that would sting and hurt like a biatch, right? But yeah. uh, but again, it's just like not something that uh, I mean, I, I don't know. I just I've always been sort of like competition based. I want a point race. I want world World Series Poker Player of the Year. I love those kind of accumulated stats. And in cash, you know, you don't know even who's the biggest winner. I mean, you do on your show sometimes because you guys show the, the data. But like generally speaking, it's just a job, you know and 
I guess, like like I said, if I was going to go play cash, I'd go play mixed with the guys because they're just funny. You know, like when Doyle used to play, you know, RIP, rest in peace. Um, and that, you know, that this kind of a fun environment, have a couple drinks, play with the guys. Yeah. Uh, or and the girl Jennifer, <laughs> I'm gonna make sure you know 2023. Uh, but um, yeah, you better be careful. Yeah, but no, like yeah. So that's the thing. Is like here's the deal, right? Now, in my free time, poker's not what I would do, right? Like poker's what I do when I'm competing in tournaments. But then outside of that, that's not what I want to be doing, right? Like it's if so if you had a regular job, you know whatever it is, like on your free time, you wouldn't do that job probably. So that's where I'm at. It's really cool to hear you voice that. Um, I always wonder how people really feel, especially when they've just won a tournament or whatever. And I think like every time I see you at a table, you bring so much energy with you um, that I have to imagine it's a job. But at the same time, you make it seem like it's still so much fun and your passion. So it's really, really cool to kind of hear you say that like, yeah. this isn't your first pick. Yeah, it's like, so, you know, why do people play video games? Like why play a game where like, you gotta get to the next level, you gotta get more points. like when there's no monetary prize. It's enjoyable. Like you are the character in the video game and you get to control it. Well, this is my video game. Like the tournament scene is my video game and I get to control the decisions made by me, the avatar character. And that's like, that's what's fun for me now. And I'll tell you what, and I genuinely believe this. I believe that money was never the driving factor. It was never like when I started playing poker, I just loved it. I love the game, I enjoy it so much. And I think that's one of the key reasons that I became successful because I think that whatever endeavor you choose, if it's like, this will make me rich, and you want to do this because you think this will make you rich, but it's not a passion of yours and you don't love it, the odds of you actually becoming successful in that arena are slim because you don't love it. And besides, why would you want to spend 40 hours a week doing something that you don't enjoy for money, which yeah. doesn't solve all your Well, problems. one of the questions we, we had for you was all the decades you've had of success, we were going to ask what characteristics or strengths do you have? Do you just think that's just the love of what you do? Well, I think, yeah, I think it started with the base of, you know, the passion for the game and it never dies. Right. And I always find a way to reinvent myself in terms of like, you know, what I want to accomplish, new goals. And the great news is I have such a balance now is because like I played the World Series, I played seven weeks every single day. Right. 14 hours. Now I'm playing no poker at all. So I have that. And all of a sudden, after about three weeks off and I haven't played, I'm like, all right, you know, I start to get that itch again. And I'm like, all right, let's go. So now I'm going to head over to Vancouver, play the GG Poker Online World Series events. Then I'll be jumping in Poker Masters and closing the year hard. But I go to such extremes, you know, World Series, 14 hours a day, every day, and then none. You know, I give myself that time away. And I can I can luckily afford to do that. You know, if you're a professional poker player, you probably, you know, can't. It's much more difficult to sort of, you know, uh, like map out your year that way. Yeah. Selfishly, um, I'm curious. So you played every single day for seven weeks. And obviously, it, it felt like you had a lot of support from having an RV close by to maybe having your meals prepped or whatever. But for other professional poker players that have, that have a very like grueling schedule, what would you say is your most underrated tip for consistently performing well? Well, I mean, this is gonna, this should one, this one should be obvious, but it's really true mm -hmm. because because there's so sometimes you have such like short turnaround between the finishing mm -hmm. at night and playing the next day that the number one, I, I find like in order to play your best sleep, right? So what I learned a few years ago, cause I've, I've dabbled over the last 10, 15 years, I would, you know, I, I, I played the world series where I'd work out every day. Right. Or I would make time to do things like that. And then I realized that I was sacrificing sleep to do that mm -hmm. work. Right. So like, I'm not going to wake up early to work out when my body really wants more sleep. So I give myself the permission for seven weeks to let myself go 
indulge, eat whatever sort of sugary, chocolatey crap I want, right? Because I know I have enough uh, discipline that when it's over, I'll be back in the gym, you know, steady. And in six to eight weeks, I'll be back in shape. But during the World Series, I just give my body what it needs. Number one, rest. Number two, food. Like you don't realize, like you need to study. You burn a shit ton of calories playing poker. You burn a lot of calories. And so when you see Helmut, people go, oh, he's always eating Sour Patch Kids. He's (laughs) He's a huge man. That's a very big man. And he's exerting a lot of energy when he plays. So for him, in order to be at his best, like, you know, eat more. And (laughs) it is what it is. Yeah. Hey, I've I've heard, I don't know if this is true, that you're an introvert. Is that, would you, would you say that's true? Yeah, I think the actual real definition is a talkative introvert. And I think people <laughs> misunderstand what, people misunderstand the term extrovert and introvert, right? Yeah. Introvert doesn't mean that you're socially awkward, doesn't mean that you're afraid of it. What it describes is where do you charge your batteries, right? When I'm with people and I'm engaging with people, I expend energy and I'm exhausted by the, by the end of it. I just get so tired. So when do I charge my batteries? Alone, on the couch. That's what gives me energy. So one of the things I learned probably 20 years ago is I don't go to dinners with people on dinner break. Why? I'll be expending energy. I'll be talking. I'll do all these things. I go in my room. I lay in, I lay by myself so that I can close out the last four, four to six hours you know, mm-hmm. strong, right? So for me, it's just a question of anytime I'm out, I am loud and engaging and all that kind of stuff. And that for some people, extroverts, they are energized by going out. That's what gives them the sort of boost. Where for me, it's what uh, you know depletes me of all my energy. That's very interesting. I never thought of it that way. I am a lot that way too. Uh, I, I I just never thought of it that way. But I I tick to to beat to the same drum. So I I'm the same way. Like in between breaks, this dinner, I've done that to try to be social. But I actually prefer to go just be by myself and not talk and not yeah, have. Like, in our free time, Amanda and I, we. We both, like, given a choice to stay home and watch a movie or go to a party or something, it's not close. It's really not. Same. Same. We're home, you know? It's like, ugh. The idea of, like, going out and doing stuff, which is great because we're both aligned that way. And that's just part of, like, also just what you enjoy doing and stuff and also realizing, like, it's a, it's a task, you know? But for people that are extroverted, they need that action. They need to be yeah. out. Clubs. They need to go to dinners. They, need, like, they, they can't stay by themselves. Like, her and I both pride ourselves on, like, we never, ever get bored. I don't get bored. I have a laptop. I have a phone. I got books. I got toys. I got a gym. Like, I don't get bored. If I'm bored, I just do something else, you know? And, but for people that are really truly extroverts, I think like, uh, you know, I won't even, you can, you could probably name, think of some in your life. Those people. Yeah, that me, me. Yeah. I'm, I'm not matched. The, the, the person I'm with likes to go out and wants to be everywhere every second, talk to everyone <laughs> on the planet for 14 hours in a row. And I'm like, I just want to watch a movie and be on my laptop and maybe go on the spaces for a half an hour and just dilute my mind with trash and then go to bed, you know? Yeah. So that means, you know, so those are all earned uh, traits of like introvertedness, right? Where, you know, again, like I said, I know people that, you know, they're like, and then I remember when I first came to Vegas too, like people would come in for a weekend from Toronto, right? Cause I'd moved from Toronto and I had a lot of friends. So there was these charter flights that would, uh, you know, get here on Thursday and leave on Sunday. So I'd have a group of friends coming on Thursday. They're like, oh, let's go party, whatever. So like I entertain them, right? Well, now Sunday comes up and there's a new batch from Sunday to Thursday. And I'm like, you know, by a couple of weeks in, I, you know, after doing it for a while, I was like, you know, you guys, it's Vegas. You'll have fun. You don't fucking need me, right? Because I can't do this. It's too much for me. I need, I need a break. I, I can't do that every night. 
So you don't like big dinners on dinner break or dinners with anyone. Um, but how does content creation feel to you? Have you always made videos or written books or like, what, is that exhausting for you as well? Or is that a lot more enjoyable? Yeah, it's an interesting question. So the, the dinners, I have, I'm not even making this up. I have not had a meal with a human being in over a decade at the World Series Poker. That's why when people say, yeah, we should grab dinner, I'm like, it's not going to happen. No, not you. We shouldn't. Right? <laughs> it's really not you. Like, when people don't buy that, they're like, oh, what a dick. I'm like, no, no, I don't do that with anyone, not even a man. <laughs> eat nothing, nobody. I'm just always yeah. alone. Yeah. But as far as the content creation, that actually is easy for me because I have a very streamlined idea of it. My brain has always sort of had a... Uh, producer-like mentality when it comes to film and ideas and things like that. So mm -hmm. everything about the vlog is me. Everything that mm -hmm. we create in terms of like content yeah. or the storyline I create, I tell them what I want. In it. Now, the good news for me is I can vent, I can, you know, get, you know, sort of brain dump, you know, the hands and it's very therapeutic and it helps me in a way. And then mm -hmm. at night, I don't have to do anything. It's not like I'm working <laughs> the night editing stuff. What happens is it gets, all the videos gets uh, uploaded to a cloud. Right? right. And then my guy, Christian, and then the editors in Korea work on it. And then in Korea, overnight, it's daytime. So they do all the edits. They add all the really awesome, cool graphics, the music, you know, the little beats in between, you know, the B-roll and stuff like that. And they put it together. And in the morning, Christian posts it. So for me, it's as simple as just grabbing my phone or grabbing my camera and filming the things that I find will be interesting throughout the day. So, and yeah, a lot of people, you know, question whether or not that takes away from my focus and stuff. But like I said, I think there's value for me and on breaks, if I just played a hand, right? And I lost a big pot, I have to explain it now to people maybe who have a little piece that they bought on a poker steak or something. So now sometimes I'm like, all right, I hold myself accountable. On this year's vlog, I had what's called an oopsie meter. So anytime I felt like I made a mistake, I said, okay, we can hold ourselves accountable. That was a mistake. And sometimes I would find that like, I would make a mistake on a Monday tournament. And I was like, no, it was fine. You know, I would say it was fine, whatever, go to bed. And the next day I come back and I go, you know what? That was a mistake, right? And that's it. You know, that's when you're trying to, like you said earlier, you know, it's a game of inches. When you're trying to play at a very, very high level, the mistakes you make are going to be so minute where people, yeah. most people are like, yeah, I'm sure that's fine, right? Well, you had the second nuts. What are you going to do, right? You call. Okay. Well, but in this spot, I shouldn't have if I wanted to really play above the rim. So I'm very hard on myself with the, you know, with the meter. Um, and I, and I think it's valuable for me to, to hold myself accountable in that way and not just be like, ah, just bad luck. No, sometimes bad luck, but also sometimes you fucked up. Yeah. I have a question for you. You're obviously one of the, uh, the face brand of hybrid poker. You've worked with those guys. Yes. In the past I have. Yeah. Yeah. Do you, I could edit this. Do you want me not to talk about that? I mean, it's, it's fine, whatever you guys want. Oh, yeah. I was just going to say, how much does that type of training help? Has it advanced you? Has it helped you? Um, yeah. So, so years ago, like I, I've done this throughout my career at different points, like way back in 2010, 2011, I started playing on Stars, the 100, 200 game, you know, and I remember when I started, um, you know, that stakes, there was like waiting list was 40 deep, right? I'm like, oh, shit, right? After about a month, you know, all of a sudden I'm playing three-handed. You know, <laughs> yeah. Like I was like, all right, he got better. He got really good and fast. So I always check in with myself every year to two to make sure I'm up to date. And when it comes to modern theory, it was all alien to me. It was Sputnik. I don't understand. I don't even know how to turn on the solver. I don't know anything about it. So yeah. I started working with those guys and sort of introducing me, you know, to the modern theory. And then we worked together when I was playing poke, you know, to prepare me for just, you know, like really it was Matt 
um, who was, um, you know, just going over the solves with me and sort of showing me the outputs on different spots and different hands so that my brain could download it. And, uh, and yeah, that helps me because I can extrapolate that even though it was heads up and sort of understand how theory works. And really the major benefit I find, especially for live tournaments of understanding the theory is just learning the baseline. But the idea that you'd see me randomizing in a live tournament, no, that's not happening anymore. That's just, <laughs> no, I get it. That's it, I get inferior. it. That's not, that's not the best yeah. way. What it is, is I can't make a decision based on anything other than leaving it up to the clock, right? So imagine you're in a situation, your life's on the line, Nick, right? And you're like, okay, I should call this spot 25% of the time, okay? Now imagine your life's on the line, right? <laughs> you can just leave it up to like roll the dice, you know, and be like, well, dice said call, I'm gonna call. Or are you gonna dig deeper? Are you gonna look at the person? Are you gonna think of the history? Are you gonna think of the dynamic? Are you gonna like play, try to play above the ring? That's always gonna be superior. That's what Phil Ivey's so great at. Phil Ivey isn't in the GTO streets. Phil Ivey isn't exploit the GTO people because no human beings that are playing or trying to play G GTO today, you can't, you won't be able to. So you're always yeah. gonna have tendencies. And that's why yeah, poker, especially live, is gonna be, it's, it's, it's always gonna be a thing. Yeah, you're dead nuts on. I mean, and, I, and I've, I've realized that too, cause I'm like you are too same way my brain's wired the same way i'm an instinct guy like all that stuff but there is something to just the baseline hey, gotta have the baseline it's good to have it know where you're at but all those other things is where a lot of people miss it like what's that player how's he been playing is he winning is he losing is this happening what's the history you know is there tell so yeah no i agree i mean obviously that's that's what makes someone like you do well is because there are some some people out there that they're just strictly theory or some people don't even pay attention to it at all but you got to know the baseline so I, I i think that's like really yeah. balanced i think i think the idea like to create the perfect poker player is you like you 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 encompass both right so what i'll do is if there is a spot against the player i have no idea i never played with this guy he's from europe or whatever and i got no read i got nothing on him right then i'll just go with okay what in theory what should i do here right so I'll try yeah. my best to, to make just the best theoretical decision in that spot. So yeah. I realized, like, if you were going to play against an actual robot, well, now you have to try to make that, you know, you just have to try to find out exactly what the best theoretical play is and make those. But, you know, humans aren't robots, and we all have our own tendencies, like you said. So there's more value, I think, in, um, in that. Obviously, with online poker, you don't have that. So really all you're left with is really studying theory. And like I said, I think there's value in both. I'm not, I don't poo-poo it. A lot of people think I poo-poo GTO. No, no, no. I think it's really worthwhile tools to use and to explore. But also understand too, that the application of it is misused by 99.9% .9 of people, right? Somebody learns a little thing. I'll give you an example, okay? Bless you. We'll give you an example. All right. You see a spot where on the flop, you know you're supposed to peel here against quarter pot because it's worth 0 0.03 of a big blind. Right? So it's a plus EV play, right? right. So you got to do it, right? Right. But here's what you're missing. The solver can do that because guess what? The solver is also going to play the turn and river perfectly. You're not. You're not going <laughs> to Yeah. It's impossible. So what you end up doing is even though the solver is plus point a third of a big blind, you're not. You might be losing one or two. For example, right. let's say, you know, you have ace-10 suited and it comes queen-9-3. You check, guy bets, and you don't have any backdoor suits. And he bets quarter pot. Like in theory, solver would probably call, right? Peel one, whatever, right? But if you don't have a game plan for turn and river and you don't think you can defend this spot profitably, like 
you are probably going to combat, com, um, compound the mistake by calling and putting your, like, what are you hoping you catch, right? You, an ace? Okay, well, I don't know. You could still be dead if he goes bet, bet, bet. You hoping to catch a 10? You hoping to catch runner, runner straight? Are you hoping he just checks down? Are you hoping he bluffs, right? So often what people do when they study theory is they study preflop, like, oh, this is just a jam. Okay, I don't care. Oh, yeah, but it was Grandpa Bill who just three-bet you. <laughs> yeah, he has it. Grandpa Bill just three-bet you, and he hasn't played a hand in two. He's, oh, no, but I have ace four suited. I got to put it in because I, just, <laughs> I, gotta, I, I can have bluffs in this spot. You know, oh, boy, oh, boy. Right? When it's just terrible, right? So the, I think the perfect poker brain is one that – and that's kind of what, where, the, where, where hybrid comes out is the idea that you, you combine theory – with the ability to exploit the hell out of flaws you see. And I and that's what I look at when I watch the video. I watch a lot of tape of my opponents, and I like to see some tendencies that I think, this is something they're getting wrong, and if I do this, right, I'll have an edge. And there's plenty of spots that I found where I'm like, okay, yeah, this is going to print EV, yeah. even though it's not GTO. That's what I really like uh, about those guys is just what you said. Yeah, you got to have the baseline. They give it to you. You got it. But all these things are even more prominent in, in the game, uh, learning it, this, the stuff you're talking about. So, yeah, I think that's great advice for anyone listening to this that uh, is too stuck in theory or too stuck thinking theory is nonsense. Uh, it's, it's kind of the perfect storm. So, yeah. Yet another good example. One good example while we're all here. Right. This was in the six max, the 10K at the World Series. And this Italian kid, he's, you know, he's got his phone, he's got the wizard, right? So there's a hand that plays out. And I'm at a table in a six max, and this is rare. Usually you're going to play against all killers. I don't recognize any of these guys, right? They're like five randoms I've never seen before, okay? So what I'm going to do in a spot like that is I'm probably going to play a little more small ball. I'm not going to be three betting light and gambling foolishly, right? So there's a hand where a guy raises the cutoff. I three bet the small blind. He four bet jams with ace eight suited, okay? Ace-8 suited was not ahead, obviously. I call, you know, and I win the big pot. And the guy's discussing, him and the Italian, like whether or not it was a good jam or not. He pulls out his phone. He shows me. He says, no, no, look, it's a good jam. It's a good jam. Huh? It's a good jam. I said, it's not a fucking good jam against me, right? You're assuming that I'm going to be doing this, like, three-betting light here, and I'm, I have none. I have, I'm not even bluffing there. So is it? So you're basically four-betting into a range that is ace-king, ace-queen suited, like tens plus and you think it's good with ace eight suited by all means so this is a <laughs> example of the guy saying no this is a good play and what i'm telling you is in this situation the gto play is a punt it is an absolute catastrophe horrendous play to make him yes. daniel tell me you told him that i did oh in this spot i said it's not a good jam because i never <laughs> bluff here i always have it it's never possible <laughs> I love it, man. That's so that's so funny. Let me ask you a question uh, off that subject. It's just a random question. If if this whole kid poker thing didn't work out and and you didn't do what you've done over the last 20, 30 years, what do you think you'd be doing? So as a kid, before I got into poker, I was always very heavily into acting. And I thought I was going to be a child actor that turned into an actor as I got older. And then I realized I sort of had a knack for writing. I wrote a script in the fifth grade. It was a cheesy little script called The Lost Army. It was basically a ripoff of like Rambo stuff, you know, where Rant, like he, lo he leaves his army back home and he goes back, and, you know, he shoots through everybody and he gets them like that. But I wrote that in the fifth grade. So I've always had kind of a filmic mind and I think I would be doing something in that, uh, in that world. I mean, hopefully, right? Because you never know with that kind of stuff, but that's where I would have seen myself. So I enjoy, you know, I enjoy writing and acting and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's interesting. That's interesting. Uh, this, I'm not trying to mirror you, but I have such an interest in that too. It's ridiculous. I love that. Like I, I never, I didn't grow up wanting to do something like that, but I've done a little bit of that in a couple different movies of just people I know. And I really liked it. Like, I really like it. So I, I, I kind of understand that, which most people would think that's, wouldn't be a, the last thing that I would do. Right. Could you see yourself being an actor? Or would you do like something more like directing? No, I I would want to. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. Awesome. I I really would. So, had you ever considered doing a little bit of that, or just not going to happen? It's funny. I just, I do cameos in Joseph. Joseph Kahn is a he's the prolific. He's the best music director of all time. He does all Taylor Swift stuff. He's done Eminem, Beyond, like every great music video you've ever seen. He does. He also makes movies occasionally that I usually invest in. And then I do cameos in his movies. Ah. So I just did a cameo in one of his latest films. It's coming out next year. And you are going to love this movie. I promise you. It's called Ick. I-C-K. Okay. okay. This movie, uh, I'll tell you off. I don't want to give away too much until it's out. But I'll give you like a spiel about I'll, I'll just give you this. It's sort of a, it's like a horror comedy thriller that kind of plays off the pandemic a little bit in a funny way. And I played a role. Um, I went to Houston um, to shoot a little scene where uh, I play sort of a political pundit. Uh, and I'll tell you later because I don't want to spoil it. Oh, my that. God. That's so interesting. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, you're probably right. I probably will like it. Well, I don't know. I'll tell you this, this one thing. And I loved it. And it was a small part. Um, uh, where was I? I had to go to Canada for it. I was a dirty cop. It's the worst movie ever. Don't see it. <laughs> don't see it. It's I'm sorry. I don't even care if they're. I don't even care if they're listening. You weren't even acting then. I don't. <laughs> no, no. This came really natural. I'm going to tell you what happened. But and I don't care if they're listening. I thought the movie sucked. But I was a dirty cop. Uh, Andy Garcia in drag robbed a bank, and I robbed Andy Garcia as a dirty cop. Shot his tires out and took the money and all this shit. So that was my. That was my. Uh, and it's called the Big Gold Brick. But so, don't watch it. But don't watch the whole movie. Just my part. I'm fucking amazing. It's unbelievable. So anyways. All right. Uh, Lynn, do you got anything on that subject before we ask Daniel the next question? Daniel, we only have another handful or so, and then you're back to your wonderful life. So, I actually had a call with a lawyer after we're doing this. This sort of came out of left field, but we put an offering on a home, and I'm in ESCO right now. We are moving. She so wants to ask you about that. She's been talking about it all day. I want to ask him about it. He's house shopping. Yeah. Let's just do it now. <laughs> just get it over with. Go. Wait, that's so exciting. Um, so yeah, tell, tell us about the home that you guys are looking to purchase because I did see some of your tweets where you guys were house hunting. So, you know, we've been looking at this place for a little bit. We've been look, we sort of looked on and off for the last couple of years because here's mm. my point, right? This house has history, right? Mm. My home, we got married. She moved into my home. And I think there's right. something valuable about when you are a married couple, having something that's both yours. So that way it feels like her home as well. So we've sort of been looking at the place. I do love this house. Like this house is perfect for me in terms of the layout, everything like that. It's beautiful. And I think I have a friend of mine who's going to buy it from me. Um, but it was, it, it's been time, you know, and we found this place like for her being on the water is really like helpful. It's calming. It's relaxing. It makes her feel happy. So we found a place a little outside of, well, it's in Vegas, but it's a little bit further. It's in Lake Las Vegas. Right? It's sort of developing area. And part of the fact that it being so far away is you can get a really nice property for probably half of what it would be like in the city, right? So we found this place, it's beautiful, you know, it's modern. We're probably gonna keep the furniture. I've got some fun ideas, you know, we're gonna put together one, I'm gonna make a 1,000 square foot gym. 
which is huge. Wow, that's huge. And then I'm going to have like a little basketball court. We're going to build the casita outside. Um, we're going to add have a little doggy do- doggy house, right? That's the idea, like, because they have really good doggy doors here. But I thought, okay, why don't we? Because right. I want to keep them protected, right? In Vegas, right. We coyotes, we have snakes and all that stuff. So I don't really want them like out at three in the morning when the prowlers are out because they're little tiny guys and they're a snack for a coyote. So mm-hmm. we created this sort of fenced in area here and I, and I found this company that'll make like a nice little cute dog house i'll put a fire hydrant in there some bushes they can do their business <laughs> fire hydrant and, uh, yeah so so we're super excited um like i said we just put in the offer was accepted so we're in escrow so now i want to you know congratulations yeah thank you um she's excited it's great she's she's really good at finding <laughs> stuff like she found me the perfect company for the outdoor gym she found everything right. now she's gonna want to move in tomorrow but i'm like you know mm. let's have it done first I want to have the backyard, but basically for next year's vlogs, it'll be coming from a different home. What does this mean for me for the World Series? I told her this. I said, babe, you know, if I were in Lake Las Vegas, sleep is important. So this is like a 40 minute drive mm-hmm. from where now it's about 18 to 20 from where I'm from. Yeah. So I said, that means when I'm making day twos, I'm getting a room and we're going to be sleeping at the thing more. So she, it's it's the trade off that she, you know, she yeah. has. Yeah, how many, how many more tournaments do you need to bink to pay for this thing? Well, it's paid for. We're doing cash. I know. I figured. <laughs> I just, I just was seeing if you'd be, if you, if you would say it. So, <laughs> trust me, I, I had no doubt. Um, now, let me ask you, how, how tall are these fences going to be? Because let me tell you something. These coyotes have some range, bro. Well, no, I know. No, so put a lid on it. So, like I said, the only way they'll be in the backyard is with our supervision, except when they're in this doghouse. This doghouse, a coyote can't get into it because it's completely okay. So closed. it's covered. Yeah, it's, it's like the one yeah, that's covered, you're good. Yeah, we have one here that's covered. So basically, yeah. she's got, my wife has a nose that is like, I don't know, super superhero nose. She smells everything. So if the dog pisses somewhere outside on a bench, she's like, oh my God, it stinks. And I don't smell anything. I could go right up against it, put my nose in it. I'm like, it does smell normal to me. She doesn't so, go out there and like mark over it, does she? <laughs> no, I don't think so. <laughs> but, uh, so like, we don't want, because we have a nice like outdoor area, it's all open. We don't want them going in there. So the plan is to, Make them do their business in the doggy house, and then when they've done that, they can come in the back. Got it. As long as it, whatever that is that they're alone has a lid, because like I said, these things could scale walls and oh, I know. Mine. Yeah, we I deal know. with the same thing too with our dogs. In this house, we made it proof. Like right here in the back, right out there, actually, yeah. is, uh, that's where one doggy door is where they poop. And then they got a front courtyard, and I had a fence that was about six feet, you know, before. And I was like, no, no, no. we took it all the way to the ceiling, so there's no there's no entry point. Cool. Lindy, got anything on that? Because I know this is your favorite subject of the of the podcast. Not on real estate exactly, but I am sitting with two people that are married, and eventually I would like to end up married. Um, so first off, and this question goes to both of you, what is the best part about being married? And then what is one thing you learned about being married? Daniel, I'll let you take it. <laughs> sure. Yeah, no, I think like for me, I learned probably like during the first months of COVID and stuff like that, Mm-hmm. I learned what real, like, true love is. And I've always yes. said, you know, you say to somebody, I love you, I love you. But, like, I never really, it's only been true with her. Like, really true, you know, because I feel it. And it's, like, truly loving somebody is loving somebody exactly as they are. Not the idea of what they can become. Not their potential. Not if they clean this up or that. You love them with all their flaws, <laughs> all their strengths, all encompassing, right? And I realized with her, she's probably the one person in the world that I can truly be myself with 24-7, right? And also... She's, you know, I think of like what I wanted in life. 
and she plays a big role so that I can actually be in a place now where in your 20s, you, you say like, oh, you know, I don't care what people think, but you really, really do. <laughs> I care. <laughs> in your 30s, you start to become less, but you don't even realize how much you do. In your 40s, hopefully, if you've gotten the life you've got, you don't give a fuck. Like, what are you <laughs> like really just like, I'm, I mean, I made it. Like, I won. You know what I mean? This yeah. is my life. I'm great. Like, you don't like my point of view on this? Fuck <laughs> off. Now, having said that, on Twitter and stuff, I've sort of eliminated a big part of the things that I would engage in because people are insane and too crazy. So I don't bother with that. But just in general, like her sort of being with her was kind of like a surreal moment of like understanding that this is what I've wanted. I've got it. So, oh. yeah, fuck y'all. <laughs> That's very nice. That's, That's very amazing. nice. I'll tell you this. I, I will tell you this. I said this to Lynn about an hour or two ago. And I'm not an Insta bro. I'm not a fanboy. I'm not that type. She asked me like who? Well, she asked me who is like that I that I interviewed and did podcasts that I don't like <laughs> or wouldn't hang out with. And that list is fucking around the block. <laughs> but um, and then she said, "Well, like who?" And I said, "Honestly, fucking Daniel Negreanu." I said, "I just like I seem to agree with most of the thing he says. I like that he's just based as fuck." And and so that's just a true statement. So there you go. On that Thank one. you. I, I live in a world where, listen, I live in a world where I, I see the world in a way where, like, I think humans are complex, right? I don't think we're as cut and dry and black and white and left and right or good or bad or all that stuff. Everyone you know has aspects of who they are that is good, and they also have some things that are pretty shitty. We all are norm. We all are human, right? And I, and I, con I get concerned sometimes just with social media in general of sort of the tribalism, you know, the you did yeah. this, you're bad, like, you know, whatever you want to call it cancellation of people for a tweet they wrote 20 years ago or whatever the case may be. So I'm also a big believer in, listen, ideologically, politically, if, even if you don't see eye to eye with people and stuff, like I still want to live in the world where I can be friends with those people. I can Same. make fun of them. I can laugh at them. I'm like, you're, your guy's a fucking idiot. You know that, right? And they're like, well, yeah. yours. I'm like, fair. Okay. Right. Like, so that's kind of where we were. And I, I think like just the engagement on social media and all that stuff, like nobody goes on Twitter to have their mind changed. Nobody. Like, they Nobody. go there to tell you what's right. And then you respond, not by hearing <laughs> by telling them why they're wrong. And they're, what? That's, that's not productive at all. So I don't engage in that shit no more. And I've also, like, you know, I think that's probably something in the last five to ten years I've come to terms with is just that, like, I really believe that, like, if ide ideologically you agree whole 100% with one or the other, then you're really not thinking for yourself. It's, it's virtually impossible that that's true. It really is. It's like there's no way that you 100% agree with everything one group says and totally disagree with this. If you are, you're lying to yourself, right? And I think it's yeah. difficult in our day and age to sort of process information objectively, especially in this country with the, you know, the way in which the media sort of separates us and all that. But I think it's really the only way we're going to heal, not just in this country, but the entire world. Yeah, I know we've talked about this before a little bit last time we chatted, uh, but I just like I'm from the same like, look, if you caught me 20 years ago, I wasn't this way. I was like, here's how it is. Here's how it should be. You're an idiot. I was so like I just was so narrow minded. But over time, I literally am the person and have adjusted to the fact that I, I and they're and they're hard to find. It's hard to find someone that's a 180 in a lot of your ideologies, especially political and other things that you could have that relationship with. And I love having those relationships with people that completely think and are totally different than me. But I find them so rare to find because 
most of the time it's somebody that's on the other side that just hates your guts because of what you believe in. They want you to know it and they will do everything they can to make sure everyone else knows what an asshole you are. And so I love that you say that because that's like literally the lane I'm in, but I just have a tough time finding those like, type of folks. Because I know I've experienced this before. Like now it's not so much. Did you ever find yourself seeing somebody, you kind of like this person, you know, and you like, you're vibing with them. You haven't talked religion or politics with them at all. And part of you doesn't want to because you're like, fuck, I have a feeling. You know, they're not, on, they're not on my side, but I'd rather not know. And think about the old days. You know, there used to be the saying, like, don't talk about politics and religion at the dinner table or whatever like that. I think, like, people's friends base, if they just avoided that, you'd see you'd actually get along and you're a lot more similar if you, you know, just left that part aside. But as soon as that enters the conversation and then that person becomes, they resent, they resemble to you something that you despise, whatever the, whatever the issue may be, you know, and then it's hard to now separate that. And that's something that I think with age and wisdom and maturity, you start yeah. to realize you're like, all right, yeah, I totally disagree with this guy on this. I totally disagree, but I, I'm sure they're coming from the right place or whatever. And I like hanging with them. So I don't really care. Same. Yeah. That's how, that's how I feel. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I, I'm going to, I'm going to revert. Do you have anything you want to say to that? Well, I will just say like, I'm still at the age of my life where I know, I know nothing. Um, it's not five years ago where I thought I knew everything, but currently I'm I'm very clear about my na general naivety about a lot of things. So like, I still feel very very comfortable discussing politics with people because I just ask them questions the yeah. entire time. Well, you stick with Daniel, and I will tell you exactly what you should think. <laughs> easy, it's easy. See, you're perfect. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Um, can I go TM's just a fun subject? Cause what made me think of it, I wasn't even on the list to talk to you about. So what I was going to say, which made me think of it is, you know, we've been on spaces together. We've seen the craziness of it. You pop in and out. I think you've kind of, I, I and this is just me guessing that you're kind of like, man, maybe this is a, I'm not going to be in there too much. Cause it's kind of stupid. But, um, but one thing that has happened in is I have, become friends with a lot of people that literally ad ad are admitting to me they did not like me just because of what they thought of me. And I have found that, you know, and there's been a few in there that are just, they just continue to say, I hate you and you're an idiot and all that stuff. But, but I've made a lot of a, a ground with those type of people that literally are complete polar opposites of me that I really like and we become friends. So I wish it was like that, but it made me think of this. And I don't know if you want to comment on that, but it made me think of this. And, and if I could just regress a little bit to some like inquirer TMZ shit, what do you think of Eden Rocks? Uh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Unless you don't want to answer. It's the stupidest I'll subject answer. ever. I'll answer, but before I get to that, I want to sort of want to speak to what you were saying. Okay. About, like the lesson behind what you experienced is this. On Twitter, without context, without tone, without talking, reading a text from somebody, you're like, fuck this guy. I hate yeah. this guy, right? But how much that changes when you actually have a conversation with somebody, one-on-one -on -one in a respectful, civil manner, right? It's, yeah. it's like if we could, so social media is sort of, you know, an opportunity for us to like look at the worst parts of ourselves and kind of that's the conversation where spaces is actually, like you said, it's been a great opportunity for people to sort of, you know, with a good moderator, and that's, we'll get to the second part of your question, with a good moderator, you can actually cultivate really productive conversations between people. I've listened to some other spaces, you know, on different topics that I'm interested in and whatnot, and, uh, you know, they can be really beneficial. As far as he goes, like, 
I have no beef with the guy. I know, but I, for 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 context, you went in there and you guys had it out, like literally, like really had it out. So for the people that don't even know who he is, he's, uh, he's well, you go. Yeah, well, here's the thing. I was just coming from the hockey game, Stanley Cup winner, wasted, and I was like about to go to bed. I'm like, <laughs> let me put the podcast, let me put the spaces on, and then somebody asked me some questions and they asked me about like I don't know, he wasn't even the host or something, but like they asked me about. UFO. Aliens. Yeah, I was like, I don't know. So I shared my thoughts because whatever. It's a, you know, it's a space. You just shoot the shit, talk about whatever. And he jumps in, interrupts it because he interrupts anything that, you know, he doesn't find interesting. And then go, you know, and he sort of like stops it. And I'm like, bro, you fuck up every conversation, you know? (laughs) (laughs) You add nothing. Like, because he comes in, I remember he came in and he's, I think he has this idea. It's like really cult like figure that he's this like, Orbiter that he's this somehow has the secret sauce, and all he's fucking doing is just going, You can talk now, you can talk now. He knows nothing about poker, he wasn't like adding anything from a poker perspective, yeah. He wasn't really making. I just felt like anytime he was on them, I found them annoying. Like it was just became skewed, <laughs> it became like, I'm the you know what, those guys are doing a space, I should be doing this. they should be they should, they're disloyal, they're this and that. And it's like, What are you, this Game of Thrones or who runs the fucking spaces? <laughs> said to myself at one point i said like you're literally the worst possible person to do this and i know you think you're great at it and that's your opinion yeah i'll do it but i think you actually suck at this like you really suck i mean <laughs> don't have time i don't know but like i just found that like for me you know sometimes there'd be like really good conversation and then he would stop them like it seemed like for me anytime i thought the conversation was getting good and enjoyable and interesting he would stop the conversations and i'm like what the fuck Hundred percent. It would happen constantly, and it was one of the most entertaining ten or fifteen minutes listening to you guys go back that I listened to on Spaces. I was fucking laughing my ass off. Um, hence why I had to bring it up, man. No, so. it's fine. Yeah, like listen, I, call, I like you said, I tell it like I see it. You know, I'm like I don't get it. Like, yeah. What are you like? What are you? Are you the Messiah of fucking Spaces now? Like I don't know. <laughs> What are you Every, but I, he's like the British is coming for everyone. He thinks everyone's after him, you know. It's just everything got so cult like and strange, and it's like, yeah, it just made yeah. no sense. I'm like, I'm out of this shit. I don't want to deal with this. Yeah. All right, let's let's move on uh, to something that's really interesting. That's been all over the the internet. You were invited to a high school poker game and changed some lives of these guys that were like shitting themselves with you what you did do you want to tell us what happened just from your perspective yeah sure well first of all those guys their their life trajectory is pretty fucking amazing and i'll explain why later simple i'll, I'll try to make it quick because i think some of the people might have already heard but basically i was walking the dogs some kid in a suit wearing a you know, white shirt looks like a mormon you know i don't know comes up to me, <laughs> comes up to me and says hey can i have a few minutes of your time and i was like oh, sure and he said, in about an hour from now, there's going to be a whole bunch of kids here wearing suits. It is our last poker game before we all go off to college. And I mean, I, I totally understand if you say no, but like, would you be willing to like come by and say hello? So I thought about it. You know, I came home, I tweeted out. I said, would you do it? You know, to the people, everyone's like, yeah, go, 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 go. Now I'm doing thing. Everyone's like, you got to do it. My wife is like, yes, you should go. You know, you'll make their day. It'll be fun. And so then I see... To the tweet, they post a picture with like all 10 of them going like this, please. (laughs) I didn't know that. Yeah, so they posted this thing. They tweeted it and Amanda saw she sent it to me and said, okay, boys, hang tight. I'll be there at nine. So I said, listen, I'm not going to go to their house empty handed. Um, So I went into my closet and I got like 10 different hoodies, some GG stuff mostly, some things, things that I've accumulated over the years. And I brought a basket over, you know, went there like, 
opened the door. There was kids coming out, I guess, going to their car at the same time. They're kind of blown away, as you, know, you can see in the video. And I thought it was really cool because I put the basket down. I go, these are for you. And everyone was like, whoa. You know, they were super excited about the hoodies. And I think they assumed that that was going to be the end of it. But then I just took out a $100 bill and says, I got 100 bucks because I can beat this game. So I sat with them, played with them, answered some questions, you know, taught them a few things here and there. And then in one part of the video, and this is where I was getting at, with like, this group of kids, I don't, this, I couldn't relate to these kids. This was not like how I was. Born. They're all like 18. They're all wearing suits and ties. They're listening to classical music. Nobody's drinking, <laughs> drinking water, right? And then I say like, okay, where are you guys going to school? You hear Ivy League school after Ivy League school, biotech, chemistry, civil engineer, shit I can't even spell. And I'm like, this is just like the cream of the crop. This is the future leaders of our, of our world. And I'm like, they don't even watch TV. I'm like, oh, you ever see that show? They're like, we don't really watch TV. Like, well, no wonder you're studying, you know, you guys are super elevated. So for me, I was like, I felt like I was in a room with like some really impressive talent, like really impressive kids. And it felt good to do it. It was a feel good story. You know, uh, it's one of the few where, you know, in poker these days, you know, from a drama perspective where unanimously everyone seemed, with, what, with one exception, um, everyone was like super positive about it. You know, and it, it created a nice little buzz. And I, I was aware that that would likely be the case to a certain degree, but it's not, you know, the sole reason. I, I documented it because I thought it'd be cool. I thought because everyone was saying you should, it'll be really a neat thing. And I, and I agree. So I thought it'd be fun to kind of share the, the moment. Uh, I, I think absolutely yeah. would have been uh, the worst ever if you didn't. I think that was a really, <laughs> no, honestly, like it was really great to see, watch, hear about. Those are the, that's the kind of shit that you know we should be focused on or hearing about because like you know we've talked about this like everything else going around there so mostly toxic you know i mean generally speaking so it's kind of refreshing yeah i know and it felt good you know it just it really did feel good like i said you know so because i I was asked about this and someone asked well did you see any kids that you know you could relate to like is the next daniel grano in the room like no they were all lousy poker players but (laughs) as far as like me relating to them i didn't finish high school bro I was already a great gambler. You know, I was in the yeah. street. I was doing my shit. Like, this is a totally different class of kids. And I was like, uh, so yeah, no, I couldn't relate to them in any way. But, uh, but I said, I was really impressed, especially with the kid. I told him this. I said, you know, you just walking up to me like the way that you did, that shows a lot of go- guts. And that's going to serve you well in life. And he said, totally. he said this, 17-year-old kid. He says, you miss 100% of the shots you don't take. And I was like, hey. Was, yeah. You know, good that's for That's the old Gretzky quote. Uh, but But it's true. You know, yeah, so I just found out that I'm better than you. I barely got out of high school. I had to take two night <laughs> school classes to get out. So if that makes you feel worse, good for you. But yeah, um, yeah no, I'm the same way. K through 12 guy, just, uh, um, but that's just an incredible, that really is an incredible story. So, yeah. Daniel, I have you beat. I uh, dropped out of high school and college. So. Nice, nice. Good thing you're pretty. College without high school. Yeah. It was hard work, but I managed to do it. I've met you, Daniel. Good thing you're pretty. (laughs) Anyways. All right. So we have a question here. Uh, I'm going to ask it. Uh, It is, have you, uh, we've talked about like a lot of poker players. There's a lot of mental health discussions and we've talked to Garrett about it. There's been other folks. We've talked about it. Have you ever had any of those challenges or been around that? And I guess my next question would lead like, have you ever been in a state of, and this is two questions, I guess, in a state of your poker career where you were going through such a tough time in your life that it affected your poker? Uh, did you keep playing? Did you stop? Did you did you start losing? Like Because I know myself, if I'm in a bad spot uh, in life, especially when I went through Jack 4, I couldn't play. 
I, I it really leveled me. I mean, people don't really realize that. I was so I was being accused of stuff. I was just in the worst spot ever. If it happened to me again, I would crush it. I would I would go through that shit like you've never seen before because I've just learned from it and got so much stronger. But then I was just you know that's just one example. I have other things in my personal life, and I just can't concentrate when I'm playing poker. Have you ever experienced that? Well, I think everyone to a certain degree would say that, you know, if things are not going well in your life, it's much more difficult to play poker. As far as me having sort of any issues, like, you know, I've been pretty fucking happy my whole life. I've been, you know, I came from two beautiful parents. They raised me right. Like I was very blessed in every way. And I really have never struggled with anything like that. I mean, one time, one time in my life, which is ironic in that, it was when uh, a man and I broke up the very first time in like 2010-11. I knew you were going to say that. Yeah. So there was like two, three weeks that were not fun. I didn't play any poker, but uh, I mean, I wouldn't have anyways. And so that was like literally the only time in my life. Now, have I been around it? Not until I married Amanda, you know, because Amanda, she was diagnosed bipolar years ago, which is part of how we re, you know, rekindled in a way. And so since I've studied that specific topic a great deal because I want to be a good partner to her. I want to be a good husband to her. I want to make sure that I understand what she's going through at a, at a deeper level so that I don't ever take anything personal, which I think is really important. And it actually, in some ways it makes it easier because she's so smart and she's so good at understanding her own moods and where she's at that she tells me ahead of time. She'll let me know. Like if I'm coming home, she's like, I'm in a mood. Right. So, okay. So that way I know if she's snappy or if she's like, you know, it's not me. Right. Cause I think a yeah. lot of relationships, you're like, what the fuck did I do? Right. <laughs> you know, yeah. Anything, right. You get home and she's like, why is she pissed at me? But, <laughs> but when, well, let me ask you, that's really funny, but let me ask you this. I know there might be, everybody's different. I'm assuming this, that if you have the, if you, if you're bipolar, I, maybe there's different like versions or levels. What would be one or two? And I know you said one of them was just to understand and to know it's not you. Is there any one or two points or, or tips of how you can help your partner or someone in your life that has that disorder? What are, what are some of the things that you can do or that you do to make that easier for you yeah. and her? Being a good listener, for sure. Yeah. Being neutral, right? Not like, you know, not adding any sort of stress to the highs and the lows and things like that. The other thing that I think is pretty common with people that are bipolar is physical touch, right? And I, do, I don't mean like, that's not, I'm not talking about sex. I'm just literally talking about having a hand on her back and just rubbing her and just like, cause it's very calming, you know, especially yeah. if you're having anxiety and stuff like that. Like that's very, very helpful. Listen, like I said, really listening. Cause I learned that stuff from her. You learn what works from her, giving her space. Also, um, one of the things I learned is just in terms of the way that you talk about stuff, you know, you have to be careful of saying things like you're being, you're being this or you're being that because often it's out of their control when they're in a moment, right? Whether they're in a manic episode or they're in a depressive episode. And then there's a sense of guilt that you're putting on them. You know, like you're being this, it's like as though they're choosing to be that, right? And it's like not, it's again, like I said, it takes a lot of real understanding of like what it yeah. means. Like, especially with somebody that's a rapid cycler, right? which she's pretty rapid, her moods can shift very quickly. Um, there's actually a great episode. If you really want to understand bipolar, what this is, this is like a dead ringer for what she deals with. It's a episode on modern love. It's a show called Modern Love and Hathaway stars in it. Okay. And Anne Hathaway plays the character who's bipolar and she crushes it. She actually crushes the role and you sort of see her in the show for example it's you know she goes to the grocery store wearing a fun dress she's super bubbly she meets this guy you know everything's great right super happy that's manny okay then they set a date to go out the next night she's super excited about it she gets dressed up she's in the bathroom and the guy's there he just rang the doorbell and right before that 
She's like, not now, not now, not now. Curls up in a ball, lays on the floor in the bathtub in the bathroom. The guy leaves because he thinks, I don't know, what the fuck did I do, right? Um, not realizing that she just had a, a massive mood swing. And when 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 people are in that kind of thing, and I guess that part would be similar to just a traditional depression, is it's hard for the people like you can't get out of bed. Like it's not like, yeah. oh, you know, just pull up your bootstraps and you know, it's not like that. So I That's have not a motivational talk. I have to hang <laughs> up to myself because I'm like that. Like if I'm not doing good, I'm like, just man up and fucking get it done, right? I have to be careful not to put that on her as though that would work for her, right? I'm like, you know what? Just suck it up. I can't, you can't do that, bro. It's not that simple. It, that, it's not that. It's like, it's so like that has taken a lot of sort of understanding, compassion and all those things for me to just sort of like get all that. But it's great, I said, because she's so smart and communicates so well on the topic. And her and I, we have plans to sort of, expand on that ourselves we're gonna do some fun stuff because we enjoy doing some content together and it's been a while but we're probably going to come out with something fun on that topic is is that disorder a draw the cards is it hereditary do you know uh a lot of time yeah if, if you have parents that struggle with that or if it's family it's hereditary uh in a lot of cases and the thing is most people don't know until they're older like until you're at least your 20s or 30s like hmm. and it sort of explains a lot of behavior too because people that are bipolar, they go through these periods where typically drugs and alcohol play a big role because what they're doing is they're trying to get outside their head, right? And that they're self-medicating, right, without realizing. And some people may misinterpret that as like, this is a drug addict, this is an alcoholic, when in reality, they're just trying to deal, man. They're trying to deal with life. And yeah. for those that are not on their meds, like I think people have a misconception of bipolar and they think of Kanye West and Britney Spears, which are, but what they're missing is they're not on their meds a lot of the time. So what you're seeing in these manic episodes is them not because like for when you are bipolar you don't want to take your meds like because it can curb yeah your I, i've i've heard that often that they really reject taking them well because it curbs your creativity and stuff like that because in some ways uh, the whole idea behind it and the thing, the thing it's not a solved problem there's like different it's like a cocktail of medication that you're taking one is to you know bring you down to a sense of normalcy and the other is to make sure that you're not too you know not falling too far down so it's a balancing act and what happens with the body is the body becomes accustomed and changes so that you need to update this every six, sometimes six months, eight months, every year and change the doses to keep you somewhat like stable. But that stabilization, like I said, for somebody who's, when you're manic, right? If you ever watched Homeland, the show Homeland, um, Claire Danes is the, the character. And when she doesn't take yeah. her, you see her, right? She's like, doesn't sleep for three days. She, her brain works at a very high rate and all the thoughts and she figures shit out, but she's also manic. And when you have that, it sounds like a great fun time, but it comes with a crash. Right, it comes with inevitable crash. So, if you have somebody who's on it and they're medicated and they're, you know, they're following the doctor's orders and doing the therapy and all that stuff, it's it's fine. It's very very livable. It's just the question of like if you're with somebody and I think you know it's the case with like Brittany and Kanye. If they if they don't take their meds, you can't be with those people. It, it, it's not workable. It's not. Yeah. Possible. Yeah, it's very interesting. So this is all like fascinating to me. Um, a few years back, I actually got diagnosed as bipolar, but then I read all the side effects of Prozac and I was like, yeah, like, no, thank you. I will not be taking this. Um, and I kind of just self-medicated with caffeine like the next few months and I felt just fine. Um, if like the general consensus is I'm probably not because one, it doesn't run in the family. Um, and then my non-licensed friends generally have the opinion that it's really unlikely um but with that said a lot of what you said was like really relatable especially the part where like if i'm bipolar when i'm quote unquote manic it's i'm still sleeping four to five hours a night but like for me i definitely would not want to suppress that 
like all that energy that I have, the creativity that I have. Did you have the highs and the lows that he's speaking of? Because I think that's really a big key for that disorder. I definitely have some of the lows. Um, And I wanted to touch on that as well, where like there's days where I just stay in bed. I order Uber Eats three to five times a day and like there's zero step days. If you guys check your pedometer. Could you just be lazy? I'm kidding. It's a joke. It's a joke. It's a joke. <laughs> so I used to think that, um, and I really appreciate Daniel, just how you touched on how, like the grace that you have for like, oh, it's not just a matter of like, oh, just pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Like, I feel so incapacitated. Like, I just have to wait for my body to naturally recharge, whether it's like the dopamine, serotonin, or whatever it is, um, to kind of regain the energy to go back and then like show up for life um but i really appreciate you talking about this i think like i don't think mental health gets talked about yeah no for sure um anything else you want to say about that daniel because if not a couple of really just not nothing burger questions just to wrap it up yeah go for nothing burger questions. okay let's do some nothing burger shit um well this isn't a nothing burger shit the next question is but i already know your answer the question here was what's the best part of your life now has to be amanda and your relationship yeah am i I don't mean to answer for you but i just can't imagine is or is it the high roller win (laughs) or something else entirely (laughs) i would say it's freedom and i mean Ah. that like you know creating a life where i have the freedom to do exactly what i want whenever dude that is so true wow what a great yeah that is so true. People, you know, listen, I, I'm at that stage of my life too, okay? I put myself in that position financially. What I'm doing with Hustler and what I'm doing with poker is a total choice. Yeah, I, I run it as a business. I take it very serious, but it's just a passion project for me. And um, I will reiterate to you, the most valuable, besides the love of my kids and all the things that are so important to me more than anything, but is is my my freedom, my time. So I relate to that totally it's it's I mean, it's, it's cool it, to wake up organically if you need to well when you when you would compare it to what many american what many people in the world struggle with is like yeah. having to go to work every day like just that alone like having to go to work every single day whether you're raising family or not i'm like having to because you know you can't pay your bills yeah. otherwise yeah you have to Very, that that really limits in so many ways like your freedom like you know it's yeah. so so you were yeah. like my idea always was to work really really hard so I can get to that place where I yeah. have financial freedom yeah. and I don't have to answer to anybody. I don't have to, you know, I don't, I don't yeah, have to. Well, you, you've done a good job. You're obviously very, very, very blessed. I don't have to go to a factory and work eight to nine yeah. hours a day, which is a tough life for a lot of people. Yeah. All right. Last dumb questions. Nothing burger. Uh, favorite movie. I'm going to go right off the top of my head with Goodwill Hunting. Ah, okay. Have you seen a new movie out called Nefarious? I don't know if it's really that new anymore. Have not. The the actor's name is Sean Patrick Flannery. I think it's one of the best acting performances that I've ever seen. Um, it it this is going to make it sound a lot darker than it is. It's about a guy that is um, in prison. He is possessed. He has uh, you know his normal personality, and then of course who's in him. And he is, they're trying to determine if he should go to death row or not. And there's a guy that comes in to make that decision. And that's all I'll say. But all I'll say is it was probably one of the best movies I've seen in a long time. I watched it twice, like right in a row. So yeah, if you like list. movies, check it out. Whatever. Over. All right. Favorite podcast besides your own? Well, I mean, I listen to a lot of hockey podcasts, but I would say like a podcast that's relatable to your audience and whatever that I really find interesting. It's Club Random with Bill Maher where he, uh, he basically takes on a guest and they just shoot. He basically gets high, 
has a drink with somebody and they just shoot the shit. Like the one with Woody Harrelson he did is really, really funny. And, you know, he talks about a lot of, you know, political topics and different things. Yeah. But they also talk about whatever. They talk about sex. They talk about dicks. They talk about, they talk about anything, you know, like it's just a fun, I just, I, you know, I, I can relate to him in a lot of ways. I, I see myself pretty aligned with him on most of the things that he says. Yeah, it's funny because if I remember Bill Maher from years and years and years ago, especially with a lot of my thoughts and ideologies, I couldn't stand him, right? Um, but over the years, changing a lot of things, how I feel and growing up and maturing, and he's changed a lot too and has he moved. That, he that, hasn't? He, would, he hasn't, right? No. Why so, does it seem like he has? Because he hasn't, but the world has, right? Oh. So I, this is where I say I relate to him. I've always been what you call like a classic liberal, Right liberal classic, right? And what we have now in the world, the extremes are unlike anything that we really There it is. Before. That makes it's sense. Like, so his views haven't changed on anything. They're the same as they were 20 years ago. He hasn't been like, oh, now I'm wrong. But like he calls out the ludicrousy on his own camp and the other camp, which I think I is really one of the most important jobs of anybody in this world, right? Like if you just, you know, look at your side and like, oh, we're perfect. All you guys are wrong. Well, you're not being realistic. And he... So what it appears like, he appeals to the right more because he will criticize the, the you know the far left as well as the far right. So you know, of course, when you see it on Fox News, you only see the stuff he says that's bad about. Yeah, the yeah, far, right. But so that's where I think he's just a reasonable human being who's logical and thinks for himself. And you know, he sees issues on a one-off basis and be like, this doesn't make sense. This does. And again, like you know, like a lot of people that used to like him don't anymore you know, on the, uh, in the progressive camp. And, and, you know, that's, that's sort of like, in a sense, I think he takes it as a badge of honor that they both hate him. That's a, that's a very good point. I, I didn't think of that. It, it, he, you're, you know, you're probably right. He probably hasn't changed, but the, the lunacy of where things have gone, he just can't go there. And so maybe that's why I thought well, the shift like, was he's different. Probably the most valuable and important free speech advocate we have. And I mean that from both camps because free speech yeah. is trying to be squashed by both ends. And yeah, yeah, yeah. Power, you know, and that's, and I, and I, and I support that as well. Like, you know, and, and yeah. you know, yeah. we just have a lot of the same views on a lot of things that you would think like, you know, what, what a liberal was. They're like, oh, no, no, you're supposed to be that. I'm like, that's not what I look at as like a classic liberal. What you're talking about is a new group that doesn't, assume, like, I'm not, that's not me, you know, and that's not him. And he lives in the right. real world where. Right. You know, yeah, I see that. Really, I get it. <laughs> well, the last question I have, unless you have something on that, is, yeah? No, go ahead. Last question I have is, off the felt, what's your most, what's your favorite hobby or what's your perfect day? And then we're going to end it there. We're going to give you a final thought. So lame. Like, it's really just so simple. Because right now, <laughs> That's cool. Wake up, take the dogs out, you know, drink a bottle of water, you know, screw around on the internet for a bit, go to the gym at noon, you know. Uh, Routine. Yeah, yeah like I'm, routine. I really do well in a routine and I really Same. enjoy it. And then in the evenings, you know, because, you know, Amanda does her own thing during the day. I do mine. And then in the evenings, we'll watch the show together. We'll, you know, watch, watch like a binge a series or stuff like that. And that's our QT. That's our quality time. I imagine the routine will change a little bit when we move because we'll be on the lake and I hopefully, you know, she'll want to get out and do some more stuff there and, you know, in this own little community that we're in because it's kind of a small town vibe. It's a very small town vibe, although it's, you know, and, you know, yeah, it's a really cool little fun area, and I think that'll be fun. But like I said, right now I'm on break, right? So yeah, I do golf. I mean, I haven't golfed in a couple of years, actually, because I've been playing so much damn poker. But, um, yeah, and I'll get into the hockey stuff. You know, that's a, that's a usually an evening for me is 
watching all the games on my big three three big screens, going to the game sometimes, and that's about it. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's that's that sounds perfect. Uh, well, actually, I'm just telling you, like, oh, what I do is I go to Kim Kardashian's house every night. With yeah, Lil yeah. <laughs> that sounds miserable. And Lil' Kim, and we hang out, and we drink, and then we eat babies. That just sounds miserable. <laughs> well, obviously not your address or, or your community, but when, when you get all settled in here, maybe post some pictures of this lake and some of this stuff. Share it with us. Yeah, we're going to do a full cribs-like thing when I do the vlogs and stuff like cool. that. I want to make sure it's finished first before we... Yeah, of course. Yeah, finish it. And stick to your guns about moving in when it's finished because that's a nightmare when you don't. Yeah, I mean, listen, that's the thing. It's already livable, though, because it's already done. Like, yeah. the furniture's already there. But, like, I would like to just have it. You know, it won't be that long. There's no reason There's no reason to rush. It's not like we're coming on up to summer. It's not, you know, it's, it is what it is. And I'll be busy right, well, playing a lot of poker. Like I said, I'm going to be playing GG Poker Series online, then the Poker Masters, and later this year I'll be going to Bahamas playing the World Series of Poker Paradise, um, and then, of course, a few events at the PGT. I'm going to try to defend my title, Super High Roller Bowl. There's also a PLO Super High Roller Bowl. You got a mixed games series. You got a PLO series. So I'll be playing a lot of poker. I won't have a lot of time to be thinking about moving. You're going to hate this question, but I'm going to ask for fun. In the next 12 months, is there any way possible you would play at Hustler even as a solid? It you can say no. Oh, it's possible if I feel like So it. I actually want to, I have a follow-up question. <laughs> I love it. Perfect. Okay, I'll take it. Go ahead. I've been biting my tongue on this, but what would the format need to be for you to play at Hustler? Would you play like a shootout? Would you play something where like the stakes go up every hour? Does Nick need to come make a massive trophy to get you out here? Like what would it take? I'll get you a trophy. Well, the first two, here's the thing. The first two, two ideas are kind of fun for me, but at the same time, that's not really your show. You know, your show is a cash game show. So I would feel uncomfortable about like bastardizing it or changing it because I know that it's successful in, in the format. Well, we do special things for like a day or two. I don't think we could change our trajectory for one or two things. I don't know. I don't hate the idea of, like you said, sort of, well, I mean, it would kind of be like a sit and go cash game, but like similar to what they did, I think um, where they had that uh, event here on the, at the studio where the blinds went up every four hours or something you, like that. We could put together a sit-and-go high-stakes cash game. They had the we could do that. Thing. That was it was just fun to watch, you know. Would that. you be interested in a sit-and-go high-stakes cash game, just eight, nine people, winner-takes-all or top two? Maybe. Because, you know, I don't know. <laughs> Poss possibly. Possibly to maybe. Possible. Okay. Above Fair enough. Above zero. Hey, listen, that's way better than I thought. Um, okay. Do any of you two have any final thoughts before I wrap this up? Well, before Nick, before you wrap it up, I'm sure there's going to be plenty of people watching and most of the people people watching will not be subscribed. So if you enjoyed ah. this, make sure to hit the subscribe button. That's right. I forget to do that. <laughs> Come on, guys. Daniel, will you tell them to do it? They like you. They, they don't they, like me. Yeah. They tell me to do that on mine too. So I said, listen, I'll film it once <laughs> and then you can just play it. Because it's so like weird you know the world we live in like please like me please yeah, i know but it's like if you're gonna watch just hit the damn or subscribe anyways whatever subscribe if you want yeah it really does help the way the algorithm work it does the subscribe and like buttons are actually kind of important for content yeah to keep doing this for free well i mean it's the least you can do if you like something and it's free and you get to watch it is just like press the button yeah. you guys heard it daniel said it if you're gonna do it do it for him <laughs> All right. Anyways, listen, Lynn, thank you. I appreciate you being here with me. Of course, Daniel, uh, I'm not blowing smoke. Uh, I, I like you uh, and I appreciate you doing this for me every time I've asked. I really do. It's a solid thank you. Um, 
Maybe we'll do it again in like two years. Don't worry, I won't ask you anytime soon. <laughs> and uh, maybe I'll bump into you and we can, we, we won't have dinner. Fuck dinner, because you don't you don't have dinner. But well, I have dinner when it's not poker. Only not okay, if we're not in the poker, tr- okay, then something like that. But anyways, thank you. A vegan you. place, and you won't even know. You're going to love it. What is it? I'll take you it's to a vegan be, place. You'll a be- vegan place? Oh, my God. Um, yeah, you'll love it. What would I eat? Buddy, this place, Crossroads, do you like pasta? The fuck? <laughs> of course. You're a Vertucci. The pasta. Yeah, I mean, what? Yeah. what I, you, I almost feel like I should give you a fresh one for the question, but go ahead. Yeah, no, I'm saying Crossroads yeah. is like, it's a fine dining place. Travis Barker, who, you know, the famous guy who's married to one of the Kardashians, like he helps and he invested in that company. That food is fucking amazing. It's at Resorts World. They have a Crossroads there. And there's okay. one in LA also, but it's really, really right. good. Well, every once in a while I'm out there, I'll shoot you. You just say no when you're busy. If ever is a yes, then we'll do it. Sounds good. Okay, man. Thank you. Appreciate it, everyone. This is the Nick Fertucci Show. Of course, I am Nick Fertucci. Envy out. Thanks, dude.